All right, I got a question for you this morning. Day in the life of a pastor. I realized when I got out of my car in the parking lot that I grabbed the wrong jacket. It's not the jacket I intended to wear. So I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, does it match? Does, can you wear dark blue with brown? It does? Okay, well then problem solved. Because I, I, <clears throat> I was worried that some of you would be distracted the whole sermon thinking he doesn't match. So I thought about not wearing it. But then I knew a whole different group of you would be distracted that he's not wearing a jacket. And so I had this dilemma, but that's good. Most of you think it matches. We'll just go. We will go with that. Another thing is the uh, announcement in there about the Bible dig-in. I may adjust those times a little bit. I may make Friday night a little bit earlier uh, till 8.30 instead of 9. And then Friday may push us a half hour later till 9 to 12.30, get my half hour back. Um, <clears throat> that, that makes it a little bit better. A dig-in is when we spend those hours digging into one passage of Scripture using printed manuscripts, colored pencils, class discussion, and to spend hours digging in to understand and apply God's Word in our lives. If it helps you to decide, we're going to spend those hours in Romans 6 to 8. I don't think there is a richer, deeper set of three chapters elsewhere in the Scripture but I invite you to consider our dig-in in April. Come this morning to a consideration of God's electing love. Uh, One of the advantages or, uh, I guess, challenges of, of preaching through a book and through each passage is that you have to wrestle with each one as you cross it and, and understand what God is saying there and how it connects to what God is saying elsewhere. And this morning we, we stumble into a passage that, uh, that we need to wrestle with in, ter- in, in regards to God's electing love, which I think is a fantastic, uh, comforting doctrine. But uh, I'm going to ask you if, if uh, it's not something that you've thought a lot about or aren't necessarily on board with, I would just beg your, uh, the honor of you giving me your attention this morning, and we'll see what we can do. We are in John chapter 10, verses 22 to 30, where... The Word of God says this. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him, and they said to him, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, and he said, I told you, and you would not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. See, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they know me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, he is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them. Out of his hand, my Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to your word this morning. We come to you. and We sit at your feet and we long for you to teach us and to speak to us about things that are higher than us. We know that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and your ways are higher than our ways. And we struggle to understand who you are and how you work and what it all means. But Father, we come to your word. 
Father, speak. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a lot of disputing about the issue of predestination, you know, election, which is that doctrine that says that God is sovereign in the salvation of His people. That God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves and that He purchases for us and He, he delivers to us a complete salvation from beginning to end. And sometimes people hear this doctrine and, and they question why would someone want to believe in that kind of a sovereignty? Why would someone want to believe that way about salvation? And for me, the answer is, it's, it's a lot for me like the doctrine of hell. I don't believe the doctrine because it's comfortable. I don't believe the doctrine because it's popular. But I believe it because I believe that the Scripture teaches it very clearly. I believe Jesus teaches it, and I believe the Bible teaches it, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. And so, I believe. And I believe that the Bible clearly teaches, as we'll see this morning in some passages, clearly teaches predestination, it clearly teaches election. Old Testament and New, the Bible speaks of God's people as His chosen people. Old Testament and New. You know, Paul uses these words, the Bible uses these words, the question does become, what do we, how do we understand those words, how do we define those words, but it clearly teaches it. And where do the apostles get the doctrine? As you read the New Testament books, I think every single one of them uses that language of predestination, election, chosen, as God's chosen people, holy and beloved, do this. You know, that's Paul, and Peter uses it, and all, all the apostles use it. Where do they get this doctrine? And one answer would have to be, immediately, the first answer would be by the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's our doctrine of the Scripture and inspiration. But the second answer to that question that I would want to give is that the apostles got the doctrine directly from the teaching of Jesus himself. That Jesus said very many things that caused people to believe and to understand these things this way. And to see that Paul and Jesus connect in their teaching quite naturally and quite powerfully. It's interesting that these doctrines, you know, we, we bring these doctrines up. I have these discussions all the time. And when people often will say, you know, why do you want to have this discussion? And, you know, you want to split hairs or you want to have this thing. And, and sometimes they, we, we, we wrestle over it and they, <clears throat> and they say it's really not that, you know, it's really not that practical. We've got some really practical things that we need to be doing, so why do we need to have this discussion at all? But it's very interesting in Jesus' ministry. I believe in Jesus' ministry, these kinds, some of the most profound theological statements arise in, in, in his daily, very practical ministry moments. Verse 22, we're at the Feast of Dedication here. The time of the feast, the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It's winter, and Jesus is there. He's walking in the temple. The feast of dedication is also known as the Feast of Lights. It's celebrated today as Hanukkah. It's, it's not a biblical feast, meaning you can search the Old Testament, you won't find it. It's a feast that they initiated in, in the intertestamental period. The, the uh, Israel had been underneath the thumb of Greece under Alexander the Great. When Alexander died, his empire was divided amongst his generals. One of his generals, Seleucid, was given Palestine to rule over, and he ruled over it with an iron fist. 
And in the middle of that period, about 150, 200 B.C., under the Maccabees, Israel, for one little brief window of time, throws off the, the Greek rule and is independent until the Romans sweep in and they're submerged again for the rest of history until very recently. When the Maccabees take the country back for the first time, that temple that had been used by the Greeks in pagan worship and sacrifice was, re, was purged and rededicated and was celebrated from that time on as a feast of dedication, Hanukkah. So he's, he, Jesus is here during this festival. He's in town. It might be the same visit that was in the first part of chapter 10 and chapter 9. It might be a different visit. Sometimes the chronology is not clear in the gospel writers. Sometimes they are more topical. And we'll see in this text, Jesus talks about sheep again, sheep and flock. And so it may be what we talked about last time as a good shepherd, maybe a continuation on the same. It may be different. It doesn't really matter. Jesus is walking in the temple colonnade in verses 23 and 24. We see he's surrounded. Jesus is walking there. And the Jews gathered around him and they said to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, just tell us plainly. Spit it out. Right? By the Jews, this is usually the Jewish leadership. This is the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leadership in the temple. And he's in the temple and they literally surround him and they demand a straight answer from him. They say, cut to the chase, you know, cut the suspense, tell us plainly, declare yourself. Are you the Messiah or are you not the Messiah? And how does Jesus answer? I told you but you don't believe. I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me. But you don't believe. I've already told you, I've already shown you, God himself has unmistakably testified to my identity and ministry in the power of the works and the miracles that I have done. And so his answer is, yes, I'm the Christ. Right? See, if the answer was no, he wouldn't accuse him of not believing. <clears throat> there would have been nothing. He says, I've told you, but you don't believe. The answer was no, there's nothing to believe. But if the answer is yes, 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 I told you. The Father has told you in works of power and miraculous manifestation. You've seen it. The testimony has not been unclear. The power and the presence of God has been manifest. The issue here, guys, is not an unclear witness. The issue here, guys, is not a lack of evidence. The issue here, guys, is your unbelief and your refusal to believe the testimony. The problem is, my friends... Your hearts. You know it. God has shown it. You refuse to believe it. You reject me against all evidence. You reject me. 
So my friends, as we look at this, what is more practical? What is more down to earth? What is a more critical issue than than the presence or the lack of faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, as the Son of God, as Messiah, as these guys are coming to him? There's no more practical issue. And here is Jesus in the moment of practical daily ministry with guys who are asking questions of him. And it's powerfully instructive. What Jesus says next. But he says, I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me. But 26, but you do not believe because, here's the problem, you are not part of my flock. Right, now, let's face it, Jesus could have said a lot of things right here. They want to know if he's the Christ. And he says, you haven't believed. I've done miracles. I've told you. It's, you know, the evidence is clear. The testimony is clear. But you don't believe. And let's face it, right here, when these guys are asking, there are a lot of things that Jesus could say to them. Ways that he could try to persuade them. You know, arguments that he could muster. You know, putting it down by a point-by-point Pauline logical uh, thrust to, to show them. And, you know, he could play just as I am one more time. You know, maybe, maybe that, would, that would give them time to come to their senses. But he doesn't. Right? He says, you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. See, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep know me. Now, don't misread these verses the way they often are. We have to follow Jesus' logic very closely. And it's not only his logic here, it's his logic elsewhere, and it's Paul's logic, and when you put them together and you look at them, it's very powerful and instructive. He says here, you don't believe... Because, and here's the problem, you're not part of my flock. You're not one of my sheep. Now, a lot of people think that it should say, and they want it to say, and they try to make it say from time to time, that because you don't believe, you don't get to be part of my flock. Right? That's what a lot of folks think it should say. That's what Jesus should have said right here, but he doesn't. See, if he said that, then it would mean you get to be a sheep, you get to be in the flock by believing. That's what a lot of people think it should say. You get to be in the flock by believing. But what he actually says is exactly the opposite. Right? You see it? He says the opposite. He says, if you were one of my sheep, you would believe. Do you see the difference? Right? In one, faith would get you into the flock. In the other, being in the flock gets you faith. If you were one of my sheep, you would believe. Right? He says the second. And then to clarify, and in verse 27, just simply clarifies, my sheep hear my voice. Right? It's my sheep who hear my voice. It's those in the flock who hear my voice. It's one who are already one of my number, my sheep who hear my voice. That's the group that recognizes me. I know them, and they know me, and they answer me. They put their faith in me. They follow me. And so stated negatively, it is those who are not my sheep, who do not know my voice, and so they do not 
follow me. That's Jesus' logic. He's saying, I have my sheep, I have a flock, and when I declare myself, when I state clearly and plainly that I am the Messiah, when, when God testifies to it, they hear our voice and they follow. They respond. They put their faith in me. They have ears to hear. But Jesus says to them, you do not believe. You do not come to faith. You do not follow me. You do not hear my voice because you're not one of my sheep. It's a clear teaching of this text. You can look at it in the NIV. You can look at it in the King James. You can look at it in the New Living Translation. You can look at it in the New American Standard. You can pull out the original Greek. And it's clearly the order of Jesus' words. And it's not the only place that Jesus says it. Pull out your bulletin. I'm going to use those scriptures as we go forward from here under the second and third point and ask you to follow very closely. And I want you to look first at that first text, John chapter 6. Keep it alongside of your open Bible in John chapter 10. But in John chapter 6, if you'll remember, we did this about a year ago. He says, Jesus, in, in, in dealing with the crowd, he says, there are some of you who do not believe. Right? And the first thing you notice is Jesus is dealing with the exact same issue in this text as he is in our current text. Right? Some of you don't believe. Right? The, the, these guys had come to him. And then it says, Jesus knew from the beginning, before it all started. And I would say the beginning here is from before the foundations of the world, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and elsewhere. He knew from the beginning. He knew from the outset. He wasn't left wondering who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus, it's a statement of Jesus' omniscience. He knows who will not believe already. And he knows who will believe because he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Right? He says, so there's some of you who don't believe. He already knew who those people would be, parenthetically. And then he says in this, then he says this. There are some of you who don't believe. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. This is why I told you. There are some of you who don't believe. This is why I told you. I explained it to you that no one can come to me, hear my voice, put their faith in me, follow me. No one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. When he uses that word there and you see in that sense, this is why I told you no one can come. The word can right there is the Greek word dunatai. And it's a word that we use, it's, it's the root word that we get the word dynamite from. It's a word of, obviously then about power. It's about ability and power And so he says, no one can come to me, no one has the ability, the power, the dunatai to come to me unless the Father has granted it to come. Unless it is given by the Father. Right? Look at verse 29 in our text this morning. Jesus says, my Father who has given them to me. Given who to me? The sheep who hear my voice. You know, follow the logic of the text. You don't believe because you're not one of my... And right there when he says not part of my flock, it literally says you're not one of my sheep, which is to say not part of my flock. But he says you're, you don't believe because you're not one of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. They, I know them and they follow me. They put their faith in me. They trust me. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Right? The Father has given them, given sheep. 
John chapter 17 is there in your bulletin right after John 6. <clears throat> Jesus is praying in the upper room. The night he is betrayed, he is praying for his disciples and he says, Father, I'm coming to you. Keep them in your name, which or who you have given to me. Right? There is this flock that the Father has given to the Son, whom God enables, gives him ears to hear and eyes to see. They're a flock that Jesus knows. I know my sheep and they know me. And the Father has enabled them to come and to follow. When the voice of the good shepherd calls, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. When the good shepherd calls, his sheep know his voice. They recognize Jesus for who he is. They hear the testimony and they believe and they follow. And they give themselves to him. So Jesus says, you don't believe. You do not believe because you are not my sheep. The Bible calls this election or predestination. This idea that that Paul teaches so clearly in a number of places and and we've wrestled with it before and you see Jesus putting out there this group that the Father has given to me. Those whom the Father has given to me hear my voice and they come to me. The Bible calls this predestination. Paul teaches it clearly. I want you to look at Romans chapter 8. It's here in your bulletin under the second point. Romans chapter 8 verse 30. And I want to, to... I want you to map these two together. I'm going to walk us to mapping through what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying. In, John, in Romans 8.30, he says, Those whom he, that is God the Father, has predestined, he also calls. And those whom he calls, he also justifies. And those whom he justifies, he also glorifies. All right, now listen to Jesus, right? First, Paul says, those whom he predestines. He calls, right? Those whom he predestined. Verse 29 of our passage. Those whom my Father has given to me. And he's going to say later, he says, those whom the Father has given to me, come to me. It's one of the marks of those the Father has given to me. My flock who believe, who hear my voice. And so it says, those whom he has predestined, given to the Son, he also calls. Look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Those he predestined, he called, and those he calls, he justifies. Look at verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. I give them an eternal life, and they will never perish. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They are justified, and so they stand right in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of God for all eternity. They will never perish. They will never be condemned. Those he predestined, he gave to the Son. He also called. My sheep hear my voice, and they come to me. And those he calls, he justifies. He gives them eternal life, and they will never perish. And those he justifies, he will glorify. Verse 28 and 29, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one will snatch them out of the Father's hand. They'll never perish. They're in the Father's hands forever. God, glorification that day when we will be with Him, and so they will be with the Lord forever. None shall snatch them, not now and not then. Right? Do you see how Paul, Paul gets his doctrine from Jesus? 
as Paul puts in theological terms in what many have called the golden chain in this section, those God predestines, he calls, and those he calls, he justifies, and those he justifies, he glorifies. Those whom the Father has given to me hear my voice. They follow me and put their faith in me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one, no one will take them from my hands and no one will take them from the Father's hands. Loveless, the last point under number two, the quote there, he says these passages, and when he says that he's referring to John 6, which we looked at, and John 10 These passages clearly teach the priority of sovereign grace in the whole process of redemption. Regeneration, continuance in faith, and eternal salvation are not an accident of human response, but the result of a divine control, a divine plan, a divine purpose, and a divine working. We would be inclined to reverse Jesus' statement and say, you're not one of my sheep because you don't believe. But Jesus does not hesitate to pierce through appearances to the issue of the prior choice and calling of God. Now some will say, as I say these things, and I'm, I'm giving it to you as I believe it's given to us. You can do with it what you will. And they, but often I'll get to a point like this and people will say, so what? Well, let me give you two so what's out of the passage as I understand them. Because Jesus has a point. I mean, part of the so what is, well, the so what is this. Jesus, as he presents himself to the world as an object of faith, as a savior and a messiah, says things like this. And so, so what is, I want to understand what Jesus is saying. And I use the scripture to unpack that. But two other, let me give you two quick things. If you're not a follower of Christ, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you want to be, part of, I think, the application of this is still the same as it always is when Jesus puts himself out there. And that is this, put your faith in Christ. If you want, if you, if you have it and you want to be one of Christ's sheep, if you have not put your faith in him and followed him, then I would encourage you to do so. Jesus is, the invitation is, uh, whosoever will, Come to me. Because I believe that the Bible teaches as clear as day too that everyone who wants to be saved will be saved. Everyone who wants to come to Christ in faith and come under his lordship and to follow him can and will. I believe that a mark of Christ's sheep is exactly that desire. If you have that desire, if you have that will, if that's what you want, if you hear Jesus' voice and you recognize him to be who he says he is, then the answer is one. If you're willing to follow, follow. If you see him for who he is, put your faith in him. And you are revealed for who you are. Those who hear his voice and want to follow are his sheep. And as he says in verse 28, he will give you eternal life. And you will never, never perish. But you will have a life in the hand of the Father and the Son. That's number one, but number two is what about those of us who are already followers of Jesus? Those of us who have already heard his voice. It is so powerful in this passage for me how Jesus ties these things together. And the so what comes through Jesus' words to us right here in this text in a way that ought to drive us to our knees in worship and in gratitude as he says so clearly. If we hear his voice, 
If that's you, if you know him to be the son of God and you follow him, if you follow the voice of Jesus and you're seeking to conform your life to his word, all of his word, in obedience, then the so what is this? Jesus says to you, you are mine. You are mine, right? Jesus declares it before the foundations of the world. The Father gave you to me, and you are mine. Right? I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have come for the very purpose to lay down my life and to shed my blood to purchase your soul so that you will have eternal life and you will never perish and you will exist in the hand of God's gentle and grace-filled hand for all eternity. I know you, verse 27. And you are those whom the Father has given to me. And then in verse 28 he says, I give you eternal life and you will never perish. No one can snatch you out of my hand. Now think about that for a moment. That if, you have, if you've heard his voice and followed him and put your faith in him as your Savior, he says, there's none who can take you out of my hand. I've got you. You're mine. Who has you? Jesus has you. But then there's this thing, I think it's amazing that he moves on and he says, in case you doubt the power and the ability of the Son of the living God to hold you in his hand for all eternity and safety, if you doubt this, let me assure you, my Father, who has given you to me in the first place, who is greater than all, he is the Almighty God, he is, he is the Omnipotent One, he holds you in his hand. The Son holds you. And the Father holds you in this double grip of grace that he says, none shall snatch you from my hand. Who can separate us from such love and power? There are those who will argue for all of that. You might be lost. I believe the scripture is so clear in its power. Who can separate you from such well, such love and power? Well, does Paul say, the last quote, I think it's there in your bulletin, Romans chapter 8. I think I put it in there in its entirety. <clears throat> we looked at Romans 8.30. And what is here is 8.33 to the end. Romans 8.30 says, those whom he predestined, he calls, and those he calls, he justifies, and those he justifies, he glorifies. And three verses later, he says, so, so, my friends, who will bring any charge against God's elect, his chosen, those whom he, Father, has given to the Son? It is God who justifies. It's Father who holds you in his hand of justifying grace. Who is it who will condemn? See, the only judge who can condemn you is Christ the Lord. And he says, who is going to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he's been raised. More than that, he sits at the right hand of the Father. And even at this moment, he's interceding for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? There are those who will tell you, you better be careful in those because they can destroy you, you and your faith and you will be lost. And I would say, he says right here, that if you are a sheep and you know his voice, he has you in the double grip of grace. And it doesn't matter what you go through. It doesn't matter what you face. It doesn't matter what tribulation, persecution, famine, nakedness are the worst that this world could possibly throw at you. And he says, no, they cannot separate you. 
They will not separate you. Your hope in all of this is not that you'll be strong enough to stand your hope in this. He has you. You are mine. Knowing all of these things, we're more than conquerors. All of them we conquer through Him who loved us, right? I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present, nor things to come. You're afraid of the future. You might fall down. He says, not present, not don't worry about things to come. Powers, height, nor depth, nor, and in case you want to slip in there something, like my own, even my own will, I can do this. He says, nor anything in all of creation. He has, he has worked hard to box out your excuses and your, your hems and your haws and your butts. Nothing in all of creation. If the Father has given you to the Son and the Son has shed His blood for you, there is nothing that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus who is our Lord. He predestined in love that we should be adopted as sons and daughters. And He gave us to the Son that He should shed His blood to purchase us. And He has taken us in His hands And this is God's elective love. I believe in it. I'm convinced of it. Because I believe my Bible teaches it. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. That we are not resting in our own power. For our hope and salvation. I thank you that we are not left to our own strength. When it comes to standing under all of these things that may face us. I thank you, Father, that you have given me to the Son. And that he has indeed shed his blood for me. Father in heaven, would you help us to see the hand of the Son that holds us. By his redeeming power and the hand of your grace that holds us in an electing love. Help us to plumb the depths of an everlasting love. The height and the depth and the breadth and the width of the love that you have for us in Christ that we may live there day by day in strength and in victory because who we are. May we know that we are yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.